Well, we are, as I've said, um, week after week, we're coming, coming to the close here of Acts. We got this week and next, and then that's it. That's it. You will have gone through the entire book of Acts. And if you're here for the first time, the church has been going through Acts for well over a year, and so it's been quite the journey of ups and downs and turns and, and all sorts of things, but really just continually be, being challenged by, I would say, by, by Christ his Holy Spirit of what it means to be a follower of him, for sure, what it means to um, share his name with others, what it means to be a church, a church that is sold out doing the same. And so I do hope that, that those things have rung true throughout this time, this journey through Acts. Well, here we are in Acts chapter 28, and we are, um, Paul's in Rome, and, uh, and he's there, and it's been a long time to get there, but he's finally there. And so we're going to see kind of what his interactions are with his Jewish brothers and sisters yet again, uh, and the ups and downs and the hard teaching that he gives uh, to them that's really for all of us. And as I thought about that hard teaching, I thought about how hard it is to teach children. And so if you are a parent, a grandparent, or if you're not a parent and you've just interacted with kids, or even better yet, you've been a child yourself, all of this will apply uh, to you as well. Because children can be very, very impulsive. We have three beautiful, lovely, impulsive children. And uh, they remind us of that all the time. But I would say, and I think Carrie would agree, at the core of their actions and their impulses that they act on, I think it's still a genuine and fairly innocent desire. They just want to do what they want to do. You know, they don't want to hurt anybody. They just want to live their best life and eat the chocolate before dinner and you know, play in the street when they're not supposed to, all the things, you know, the things that we need to keep them alive for. But as I shared with you before, my son has said to me uh, once or twice before, after giving him the rules and the boundaries, well, I just want to do what I want to do. That is the main issue for all of us and even children. Children developmentally are, are, are not they can't get around the understanding of rules and boundaries. They just kind of see it as an infraction. They don't see the hard teachings. They don't see the why for how come of it. And we put these boundaries and hard teachings in place for them because why? We love them. We love them. Boundaries are a sign of love, protection, provision, and to teach them. We want them to be the best versions of themselves. As a parent, and I don't know if you've ever done this as a parent or as a teacher, do you ever just let the infractions that they're doing play out? Like, do you ever find yourself kind of standing in the doorway? It's probably creepy. They're going to go to a psych psychologist for this, where you just kind of stand in the door. They don't really see you, and you watch the scene that's about to happen, and you don't intervene. You allow them to play out whatever disobedience or infraction that's going to happen. And the reason for that is, at least for me, as I went to... One, give them the opportunity to obey, to choose right, to remember all the teachings, to remember all the things that I have said, that, her, that their mother has said, to choose right and, and, and do it correctly. So often that doesn't happen and you catch the infraction, but you let it happen so that the other thing that you can do is attach the consequence, the punishment, whatever it is, the lesson to the action so that they see the connection of what they have done and the consequence for it. Maybe this is why Jesus says, let the little children come to me, taking it out of context, but I'm thinking so often, time and time again, you and I, we act like impulsive little children, and we need the Lord 
to help us, to teach us, to guide us when we just want to do what we want to do. Paul, as I said, is in Rome now. He goes to Rome. He gathers his Jewish kinsmen together in Rome. He's trying to teach and convince them yet again that Jesus is the one true Messiah. And yet again, so many don't listen. And so he lays down an ancient teaching from Isaiah for them, a hard teaching about them, the people of God, not listening to God. We're going to talk about what it means to not listen to God. Be you a Jew or a Gentile, an adult or a child, we all have the tendency to put on noise-canceling headphones. You know what those are? You ever know what it, they, they come out with them now? You just kind of put them on. I'm going to recoin it for us. We're going to learn today what it means to have grace-canceling headphones, to not listen, to not hear, leading to hardened hearts. So today's going to be a little bit of a tough teaching. I'm going to get into our stuff our Cheerios a little bit, but we'll come out of it all happy and joyful in praising the Lord. So let's dive in. Let's look at Acts chapter 28, verses 17 through 29. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to that passage. The page numbers of the Pew Bibles are listed, so if you don't have a Bible, they're right behind the pews. Of course, you can be a good millennial, Gen Xer, or even a boomer at this point and open up your phone and look at it there. Good. Greg, don't cruise the internet. Carrie's watching. She's sitting right there. So no. Let's look here. Acts chapter 28. Let's see where we're at. Verses 17 to 29. Paul gets to Rome. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty. In other words, the Romans wanted to set Paul free, he says. Because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case, but because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Remember the Roman governors at the times, Felix and Festus, they, all, they wanted to do favors for the Jews, and so they kept Paul in chains. So he's compelled to appeal to Caesar, but look at this. Though I had no charge to bring against my nation, meaning Paul had no desire when he appealed to Caesar to make it difficult for his Jewish brothers and sisters. He was not going to bring them up on charges that they had trump charges against him, bear false witness. He wasn't going to do any of that. He had no reason to do that. That was not his, his MO. For this reason, Paul says, therefore I have asked to see you and speak with you, since because of the hope of Israel, this is the reason why he didn't do it, the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Paul is... is, is working out this hope that his brothers, his sisters, his Jewish brothers and sisters, the people of God, would repent and believe in Jesus. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. Isn't that something? After all of this rigmarole, after all of the trials and the Jewish people kicking up their heels and wanting to stone him and do everything, none of it gets to Rome where uh, for him it matters. So they're like, we haven't heard anything about you. But we desire, though, to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, meaning Christianity, the way, people of the way, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. Now, he, Paul's still in prison, but he's allowed to be kind of in his own place, uh, not as quite as a prisoner as we would understand it. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, he taught to them, he reasoned with them, testifying to the kingdom of God as his habit and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses 
and from the prophets to say to his Jewish brothers and sisters, this has been foretold. God did not come up with this brand new cockamamie idea just off of the hip. It has been set in place from the very, very beginning. Our God, the God of our fathers, has sent this Jesus. He's trying to convince them of that. And some were. Some were convinced by what he said, verse 24, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul makes this one statement. I call it a nuclear bomb of a statement. They're all over Scripture. They just kind of blow stuff up. Paul says, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, notice that he says to your fathers, not our fathers here. I think Paul's a little perturbed. (laughs) Your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear and with their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known, Paul says to you, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And he is standing on a whole bunch of prophecies on that last statement. They will listen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why why don't we listen? Why don't we listen to the teachings of God? We read the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever had a, a friend or a mentor come to you and talk to you and really try to lay down a convicting teaching out of love for you? And you're just like, Grace-canceling headphones, don't want to hear it, don't want to listen to it. Don't, don't mistake the interpretation of this text and think, oh, this is a Jewish problem, that the Jewish people of Paul's time are not listening, and this doesn't, pertain, this doesn't pertain to me, a Jesus follower. No, 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 my friends, this is a human problem. Paul's just dealing with it with, with them. There are several instances throughout Scripture where Paul also has to lay it down for the Gentiles as well. As people, we have a listening problem sometimes. Why don't we listen? Why do we not listen to the very teachings of the Lord that we know to be good, that we know to be corrective and right? What is within us that happens that we don't do this? Paul in Romans chapter 9, verse 30 through 10, verse 3, he's speaking about Israel's unbelief, but I want you to see just humanity in general. Listen to his rationale why people don't listen and don't believe. He says, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, meaning they didn't pursue that right standing with God, now have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Oh, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Why do we not listen? It's because we seek all the benefits of a right relationship with God, but without the humbling activity. 
of recognizing why we need his grace. We want all the benefits without dealing with why do we need a Savior? Why do we need saving in the first place? And when confronted with that truth, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to do the work to realize that at our core, we don't have what it takes to be justified on our own power. We are blind to the truth that our hearts, our thoughts, our actions, and even our desires, they are fleshly. They are self-serving, leading to our inevitable end. Wow. What a ray of sunshine that is, right? It's doom and gloom. No one likes doom and gloom. We want good, happy things. So we put on our grace-canceling headphones and we shut it down. We put the blinders on and we go about doing life the way we want to do it. And when faced with the holiness of God, when faced with the truth, when we come in contact with the truth of not only who God is but why we need Him, we're left with two decisions. We can either put the grace-canceling headphones on and run away, deaf, blind, and dumb, or we can come to ourselves like the prodigal son. Remember that story? Prodigal son leaves, squanders everything, and he has this moment in Scripture where it says he comes to himself, meaning he has this realization, not by his own power, this has got to be from the Holy Spirit, who realizes and makes him realize just how low and separated he is from his father. And so he realizes that, and he gets up, and he turns to go back. That's what God wants from us all. So our choices, canceling headphones, go our own way, or to humbly submit and do the work and have have the pain of why we need the Lord in the first place, to truly listen. There are Bible, biblical examples all over about this. I already gave you one there, but also we have the rich young ruler. You remember him? I love him. He's my favorite person to put up there, so maybe second to Peter. But the rich young ruler said to Jesus, I want to do everything. I, I, I did it all. Come, let's, let's, let's rock and roll. And Jesus says, oh, why don't you go sell everything, and then you can come. And the rich young ruler doesn't do it, and he goes away grief-stricken. A gut-wrenching grief. We don't even get to know this guy's name. He is henceforth known for all eternity as the rich young ruler. Grace-canceling headphones, deaf and blind. But then you have examples like Moses and Isaiah. They come in contact with the holiness of God. God says to them, I've got things for you to do. And Moses is like, send someone else. Thanks. And he's totally, totally at one with why he is not right. And Isaiah, same thing. Ah, I'm, I'm unclean. I am not worthy of this sending message here. But then they humbly come to themselves, do they not? They realize, and Moses goes on to do amazing things, and so does Isaiah and all of the prophets because they realize, they listen, they hear, their hearts turn, and they are used by the one truly whole God to be the best versions of themselves. When face-to-face -face with the Holy One, and when we choose to put on the grace-canceling headphones to not listen, we forget His promise, don't we? We forget that He promises to make us holy and right and set us apart as holy. Instead, we would rather decide for ourselves what parts of us are detestable and what parts of us are okay. We decide our own measure of holiness when we don't listen to God. We say, well, okay, these things that everyone knows is bad, I can stay away from that. But these other things that are kind of borderline, they're okay if in moderation. 
they're okay if I don't hurt anyone else. Or they're okay if no one knows and no one will find out. How many of us play that game of holiness? Paul is realizing a hardening of Israel and rightly sees that they aren't going to listen and they're stumbling over the stumbling stone and choosing resistance over repentance. So what does an all-knowing, all-loving, grace-filled, benevolent God do with his people with those headphones on? Well, he kind of does what I said in the beginning. He lets it play out. Isn't that something? He lets it play out. Listen to the psalmist as he describes letting it play out. Psalm 81, just listen, verses 8 and following. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would li but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Paul also calls this out. Verse 18 in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God has been made plain to them because God has shown it to them. All the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that he has made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they became foolish, futile in their thinking and foolish and darkened in their hearts, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. He's saying what they did was they exchanged the worship of the one true God and the truth that they are to listen and follow for things that they created, for things that they elevated up, for things that they thought were important. That's idol worship, my friends. Therefore, God gave them up then to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. What does God do when we harden ourselves off and put on those grace-canceling headphones? Well, he chooses not to intervene and to just allow it to happen. And you may be thinking, that sounds rude, God. That doesn't sound right. You're supposed to be all-knowing and all-loving. Do your godly things. Like, you know, make people bend their knee. You can do it. But what would that do to our hot posture, my friends? What would that do to our relationship with God? What is obedience if it's forced? There's no love in that. There's no covenantal relationship in that. So no, God doesn't do that. He lets it play out. Although he could. Snap of the fingers, he can do whatever. But he lets it play out. And in so doing, we become, when we give in to those desires, we become like the thing that we create to worship and follow, even if it's our own power and our own will. Psalm 135, 15 through 18 says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. 
They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. But what does that sound like? Isn't that exactly what Paul said was going to happen? Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. This is Old Testament theology about idol worship. That even the prophets, everyone in the Old Testament have said, you will become like the idol in which you create. The golden calf, could it hear? Could it see? Could it do any of those things? No. And so you become like that which you worship. Why does God do this? Why does he give us into this? Well, he hardened the heart of Pharaoh, remember? For what reason? So that his people and the people of Egypt would know that he's the one true God. Now he's hardening Israel's heart. Why? So that his people and the people of the world, Gentiles, would know that he is the one true God who sent Jesus, the Messiah, to claim all the children of the world back to him, those that would have a heart and listen and believe. It's not by the works of our hands or continuing in the life that we want to live, and it's not by manufacturing idols. Manufacture of idols leads us to a life of non-confession, of non-repentance, of non-belief, deaf, dumb, blind. God lets it play out so that the consequence of the action is attached to the lesson that he's giving so that we become the best versions of ourselves. And I would say this, so that we would reflect his goodness and glory. My parenting of my children is going to sound very selfish. I want them to do well. I want them to be respectful. I want them to know the rules and, to, and all the things. And I know that there's got to be grace, even though I tell them that Jesus has grace, their dad doesn't. But I understand that there has to be grace there for them. But I want them to be the best versions of themselves because it reflects on our parenting. It says we follow the Lord, we did what we needed to do, and we've got folks that are ready to go. Now, I know, not foolish, I know you can do all of those things and like people, because they're like people, they will still do what they're going to do. But that's the drive. And I think that's the drive of God as well, knowing that we're still going to do what we're going to do. He wants us to be the best versions that he's created us to be so that we can reflect his goodness and his glory. With grace canceling headphones on, we can't do that. We can't hear it. We can't see it. And we are given in to those impulses. God is breaking through the noise, my friends. He's breaking through the noise, teaching and demonstrating that we can't cancel out his grace, no matter how hard we try. The teaching that Paul gives of Isaiah is a teaching of hope, not just condemnation. Because what does he say at the end of that? You're going to be deaf, you're going to be blind, your heart's going to be turned. But then he says, lest you should see with your eyes and hear with your ears and understand with your heart and turn. Come to self. And what does he promise? I would heal them. We can't cancel out grace no matter how hard we try. If the Lord has his choice and his favor on you, you can run from that all you want. But you cannot sin him. How long will we go, my friends, with our grace-canceling headphones on? Is there something in your life that you're holding back, not allowing God to breathe into it, being blind and deaf 
with a hard heart. Humbly and surrender and turn. I'll leave you with this last story. Last night, I did threaten one of my children last night that they needed to stop throwing a fit or they were going to become a sermon illustration. This wasn't that person. This wasn't that children. We're at the dinner table, and the dinner table is so much fun, everybody. So much fun. And so we're teaching them the manners. They're old enough to know manners, to sit up, to sit over your plate, because if they don't sit over the plate, where does the food go? All over the floor. Uh, and everything, and use forks, use the utensils, and not like a caveman. And, and last night, I mean, it was just, I just, it was a broken record. I just kept saying it. And I was like, do you all find this funny? Like, and I'm at my, my wit's end. <laughs> and so Caleb, dear Caleb, he gets ready to, after I go off my little tantrum, you know, being an impulsive child, right? After I go off my tantrum, I see Caleb go and reach for the broccoli with his hand. <laughs> after I said, with the fork. But he does this. He goes, he goes, and he picks up the fork and goes and tries to get the right. But as he's doing that, he does this one thing. He darts his eyes back to me. <laughs> Not because he wants me to see that he did the right thing. He wants to know, did I see the wrong thing? And how do I know that? Because I know my son. Like, I know <laughs> that's what he's doing. And as he darts and looks at me, I went, good job. Great. I'm so proud of you. I'm just very happy. That's what God does with us. That's the prodigal son, isn't it? When he came to self and realizes wrongdoings and comes home, who's waiting for him? But the father who's running towards him to say, welcome home. Here's the coat. Let's have a feast. Use your fork. <laughs> Everything is great. God doesn't want to condemn. He sent his son to save. Condemnation is going to happen. Don't get me wrong. There is going to be judgment for, for the wrongdoings and, and things like that. But that's not his first inclination. His first inclination is to save and to reconcile. He's all about that grace and restoration. He's all about running towards us as we make the turn back to him. Remove the canceling headphones, the grace-canceling headphones. Let's not shut down the Lord out of fear and resistance but humbly submit to him daily. That's what Paul, Paul is, I mean, with a gut-wrenching desire, wants to see from his Jewish brothers and sisters. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am chained, not their condemnation. And even though he may have this, it's, you know, that switch of your, which could be anything, his heart desires that he would save some. And he's going to go to the grave doing exactly that. <clears throat> Remove the headphones. Be the best versions of yourselves, reflections of our heavenly Father, of his goodness and glory. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, again, I thank you for hard teachings and lessons. I thank you that as Thane prayed before, we don't have to have it all together. You know that we are imperfect. You know that we struggle but to continue to work in our lives so that the inclination of our hearts, the impulse would be more and more to follow you, to reflect you and to be changed by you. 
allow that to be our mission and our ministry in our own lives and as well for others so that they too can see the Father running towards them, welcoming them home when they finally realize whose it is they are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We don't have to have it all together. Thank you, Thane, for reminding us of that. But in Christ Jesus, he puts us together. He makes us clean and he makes us whole. And so when you go out, as we all often ask you to do, to share the good news with others, just know that you're not going on your own power. That's idol worship. You are going with the power of the one who sent you, the one true Messiah Christ. And through that power, you can speak the truth. And that truth can melt down and break down walls of hostility, break down walls of doubt. So go and be used, my friends. Share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you go. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you later.